0: You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. All right, why don't you open your Bibles with me over to Psalm chapter 16. I uh, do not have... Or you might want to open to John chapter 4, actually. That's a first verse we're going to look at. It's coming out of John chapter four. See how happy it is out there. It's awesome. It's good stuff. Bless those children's workers, Lord. We are so grateful. So grateful. Gary got wounded in the nursery. Okay. Uh, Yeah. So we're going to look quickly at, at a verse out of John chapter four. Then we're going to go to Psalm 16. And I do want to talk to you this morning, essentially, about what it means to be a worshiper. And you can look at this as, you know, we've been talking about being a good steward of the transformational moments, the times we have where God speaks something to us, reveals something to us. This certainly is a key to that, living life as a worshiper. Okay. Uh, In fact, I don't know how we would expect to continue on this, you know, a consistent path of hearing what God's saying to us if we're not living as worshipers. We're going to just, and it isn't going to be that God's standing there with his arms folded. It's just going to be we're not where he is if we're not living as worshipers. So it certainly is that. Also, of course, this is the first Sunday of a new year. Some of you think it's the sun, first Sunday of a new decade. Um, I, like, I don't know why I like to tease about that. I just know some people go from zero to, you know, it was a big thing at, in, uh, at Y2K. It was a big deal. Well, is January 1st, 2000 the beginning of the new century, or is it January 1st, 2001 because it goes from 1 to 10 or it goes from 0 to? I thought it was pretty funny. People were all upset about that. I didn't care either way. Anyway, I think I was saying something about this. Yes, it is the first Sunday of a new year. A lot of us like to set some goals or, or maybe uh, reorient some things. Certainly, all of us can grow in this area for the rest of our lives in living as a worshiper. So, um, in John chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus said this. He said, A time will come, however indeed it is already here, when the true genuine worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking just such people as these, as his worshipers. All right, so, so Jesus was actually answering a question that was asked about location. The Samaritan woman was asking, him. she was saying, well, you Jews say you can only worship in, at the temple in Jerusalem, but we believe this. And so Jesus was coming back, and essentially, I mean, his message in this whole passage was, it's not about location, it's about what's going on in your heart. But he's telling these people, I mean, he gives us this instruction that genuine worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And that word spirit, of course, is that Greek word pneuma, which means breath. It's where we get the terms terms like pneumatic. You know, it means a flow of breath. And it always speaks of the breath of God, the spirit of God moving. So he's saying one of the qualities of a genuine worshiper. Is that their worship is inspired? Right, another word that means to be breathed into. Right, their worship is released through the breath of the Spirit, through the activity of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. So worship isn't something we just—it's—it's uh, it's not a format it's not something that we just a structure something that we just do and of course we use these words all different ways and we call the time that we just had together singing to the lord worship well hopefully it is but it depends on what's going on in our hearts whether we are actually releasing worship to god or not we can sing uh christian songs all day long and not be worshipping we can um you know but but at the same time scripturally this time of there's something about music that is it's a god thing it touches us in a way that nothing else touches us and that's why it has been coupled in whether you're talking about in the world or whether you're talking about in the church it's been coupled with releasing our innermost feelings and that's why we do do a lot of we express a lot of worship through music and through singing, but we also our whole lifestyle worship really it's a hard attitude, and it affects every part of our lifestyle. If we are worshipers, we live differently than if we are not worshipers and and we'll talk about that a little bit more in just a minute. so he says they will worship in spirit and in truth and we've we've said this many times, but it always is good to repeat that word truth" from the Greek language it means. Unveiled reality that lies at the base of appearance or unveiled reality. In other words, something God has revealed, right? We talk about revelation knowledge. We talk about things that God impacts our heart with. Unveiled reality as opposed to mere appearance. If you look this up in any good Greek dictionary, that's what you'll find about truth. So the idea is there is truth that God reveals, that many times is opposed to an idea that we would get just from what things look like, what it looks like is going on, what it looks like is happening. That's not where truth comes from. Jesus said, Father, your words are truth. So Jesus is saying here that this combination of the influence of the Holy Spirit and reality as God sees it, reality as God communicates it and reveals it. Those two things are at the heart of the life of a worshiper, that genuine worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus said, well, actually, Jesus, I was going to say Jesus quoted Isaiah. Jesus quoted himself as written by the prophet Isaiah. Right. Jesus is the Word of God, all of the Word of God. All of us that have Bibles that have the words of Jesus and read, really the whole thing should be read because Jesus is the Word of God. His his words himself was breathed by the Holy Spirit and some prophets wrote it down, and so we have the book of Isaiah and the book of Jeremiah, and the book of Ezekiel, and all the major and minor prophets. We have all that, but it's kind of good to remember that when Jesus says these things, he's actually quoting himself. I don't know if that ministers to anybody else, but it does to me. Anyway, what he said was, these people worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Okay, so that, that would be a situation where we're, we're saying something, or maybe we're singing the song, or we're doing whatever, but our heart needs to be engaged with him for it to be worship. For it to be worship. Does that make sense to you? So, worship, there are a lot of things that, uh, that Christians, through, I'm, I'm going to say primarily, I think it's true, through misunderstanding of who God is, there are a lot of things that are called worship or living in a condition of worship that were not breathed by the Spirit and are not in line with God's Word, then those things really should not be called worship. And I don't think we're all supposed to sit around and judge that on one another. I don't think that's the point here. But as far as wanting to be engaged as a worshiper in life, I need to remember, I need to be engaged with the Holy Spirit. I need to learn how to sense what is on his heart and release that in worship. I can tell right now, I'm never going to get through Psalm 16 today, which is really what I want to do. When we're in times of worship whether that's in your home, in your devotional time, your private time, here in church. This, these folks up here have spent time in prayer and, and they have a certain anointing on their life and they help us, they lead us in worship. But it But really each of us has an individual responsibility to end up at the feet of God. They help us. And you know what? Everybody else in the room who is... Focused on God and worshiping God during that time helps us too. This is the easiest place in the world to worship because you've got people all around you engaged. There's a, there's a, there's a flow, there's a current that begins to happen and it's, and it's bi-directional, you know? I mean, we're, we're pouring things out to the Lord. He's pouring things back to us in a time of that type of expression of worship, Okay. And it's just important for all of us to know that what you bring in makes a huge difference for somebody else in the room every single time. And so it's really incumbent upon each of us uh, to come in ready to worship, ready to worship the Lord. He's He's why we're here. So again, I don't wanna I don't wanna bring not not today, not in this teaching, I don't want to bring worship just down to that activity. That is an expression, a very valid expression of worship. It's really important for our lives. But everything in our lifestyle, every choice we make, every decision we make, everything we do can be and should be an expression of the fact that we worship God. Okay? Not, not that we just have a form of religion, that, but that we worship God. So let me just give you a couple of a couple of bullet points here, and then we'll try to get through some of Psalm 16. Um, so worship is not just an activity, okay? It's a, it's a heart posture that directs our choices and and directs our activities. It's, it's not just something we do on Sunday or, or anywhere. It, is, it really is a big heart issue, okay? And a worshiper is a person who simply puts God first in every area of life. I mean, that really is the essence of living as a worshiper. So that means that... Um, our actions, our attitudes, you know, our choices, they're being directed by a sense of devotion to God. And this is really important. Um, good choices, uh, choices that reflect what we believe and, and our, our intimacy with God, okay, those are birthed out of devotion, not fear. Okay, they need to, otherwise they're not really worship. Why do I say that? Because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So if I am coming before God because I'm afraid he's going to punish me if I don't, that's coming from fear that can't really be called worship. Okay? That's fear. And so it's important that we understand, so how do I get right now? I'm 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 afraid of God. Okay? You know, God's big, and God's powerful, but God loves you in a way that we can almost not comprehend. He's not out, and Jesus demonstrated who he is. You know, um, you can count on the fingers of zero hands how many people Jesus injured Okay, during his time expressing who the Father is. There aren't any. All right, so, so, some of us have been given that attitude growing up that God is just waiting to crack us over the head, and you know, for me growing up, it was like if I was God, I'd have been waiting to crack me over the head, you know, but it's just not who He is, and so it's it's important to realize that a worshipful life it comes out of devotion, and if you're not at a place of devotion, don't pretend with God that you are. Don't put on a mask because you won't get anywhere. Masks really don't change anything on the inside. They're, that's why they're masks. But the important thing is spend time with the Lord. Spend time in his word. Spend time looking at who Jesus is. Look at how he interacts with people. Look at what he did. Look at what he did. He gave his life for us. you know. And let that stuff soak into your heart to where devotion and a more genuine love of God just develops. You're made for it. It'll it'll come up if you do this. Don't be afraid. God already knows if you're in that fear place. He already knows. He doesn't want you there. He's going to be your partner in bringing you to the devotion place. Okay. So uh, the the point of that is that uh, worship, real worship, it's birthed out of devotion to God. It it is an it is a you know, again, whether it's an attitude or an action or a lifestyle choice, all those things, they're, they're just a reflection of reverence for God, okay? A worshiper is voluntarily subject to God's authority. That word voluntarily is very important there. We are not, boy, we are not slaves of God, now the New Testament does talk about us becoming Paul says, "I am a bond slave of God. A bond slave was someone who gave themselves voluntarily into service of the house. It was not someone who was forced into slavery okay so so the idea here is we are voluntarily subject to God's authority, so we seek to conform our life and our thoughts and all that to God's thoughts and ways. We, we really want to, when we find something, we discover something in our lives that doesn't line up with who God is or, or what he has said, we want to change that. We want to see that change. We want to become more and more and more like him. And again, he's our partner in that. Now, in Psalm 16, and you should probably go there, we'll see how much of this we can get through. In Psalm 16, David, who was described by the Lord as a man after the Lord's own heart. Okay, so David was a worshiper. There's a lot we could say about that. David developed systematic corporate worship. He, he invented uh, instruments that were specifically for worship, corporate worship, gathered worship. I mean the guy was and and God said about him that he was a man after God's heart. So so David is a worshiper. And in Psalm 16 he gives us a number of keys. Again we probably won't get through them all, but let's just begin in in verse one, Psalm 16 uh, let me get there. Psalm 16 verse 1 I'm going to read from the Amplified and I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. So Uh, but verse one says, keep and protect me, O God, for in you I have found refuge and in you do I put my trust and hide myself. There's a tremendous amount in that verse, but the, the term there, keep and protect, or some of your translations say preserve, it really is the word for preserving something. When we preserve something, we keep it, in a in a pure and usable state. Uh, my mom used to lay up, I mean, they had a big garden and she would, I don't know where the woman found the time to do the stuff that she did. But anyway, she'd lay up beans and peas and I mean, all this stuff. She would preserve them. She would put them in jars, can them, preserve all this stuff that we'd eat all year long. And And the idea was you're putting it in a condition where it won't rot, right? It won't go the wrong direction. It'll stay healthy. And so David, the worshiper, this is one of the things he's doing. He's, he's reminding himself, I think, in a lot of ways. I think a lot of our prayers, God already knows we're reminding ourselves. He's, he's saying, keep and protect me. Preserve me, O Lord. This this word means to watch over something, to guard it, to keep it safe, pure, and usable. It's the same word, and I thought this was really interesting. It's the same word that's used when God told Adam and Eve to be stewards over the garden. He set them in the garden. He told them to keep it. He told them to preserve it. He told them then do a real good job with it, but, but this was the instruction of God. Preserve it. It means to be a steward, and a steward is somebody who manages something for whoever owns that thing. They're just they're a manager. They take care of it. Uh, scripture gives us a bunch of principles about stewardship. It says they bring increase to it, uh, they they multiply it, and they do it all for the owner. and And so David is saying, God, I'm putting myself in that position, steward over my life keep it safe and cause it to grow, cause it to increase, steward over my life. And he's saying, he, he goes on, he says, in you I've found refuge and I put my trust and hide myself in you. This this term, in you I put my trust. All right, the Hebrew there means to take refuge from the heat. All right, so it's the picture of uh, going into the shade putting yourself into the shade to get out of the sun and the heat. All right. So as a worshiper, David is saying, I make this choice in my life. When things get hot, when trouble, when fear, when agitation, when danger, when anything like that approaches my life, I make the decision of what I will do in that situation. When we are confronted by things in life, we either typically put our trust in ourselves to figure out how to get out of it, maybe in another human being or another institution, or we put our trust in God. And he's saying he's, it's this picture of I decide, I choose to come out of the heat and rest in you. I put my trust in you. I come into the shade. This is, a, this is a picture. This is something we can actively do. And let me say this before I forget. As we do that, this is being a worshiper. We're putting God first. He's our refuge. In that place, he will very likely point you to some, some people, some things that can help you in your situation But the first place we go, the only place there's real shade and real rest and real refreshing for the heart is in the Lord. And so it's this picture of going, coming out of that, whatever that thing that's going on in your life is, you're making the decision to go soak in the peace of God until your heart comes back to a place of peace, in the rest of God until your heart can rest. For most of us, this includes taking captive a whole bunch of thoughts that are trying to draw us into fear or trying to take us down the wrong road, trying to cause us to depend on ourselves. We have to be able, it it means we're going to take captive those thoughts. We're going to replace them with what the Lord has said. We are going to spend that time, honestly do it, not just know about it, but actually step into the shade and spend time in the presence and the word of God until something changes in our hearts. Then we can begin to pray about the situation. I don't, it's not very effective, at least I've never found it very effective, to pray about the circumstance or the problem when I've not yet come to a place of peace and rest in the Lord. My heart's just not in the right place. I don't hear what he's saying when I'm all agitated. I don't, you know, so I need to spend that time just focusing back on who he is first, come to that place where I can get quiet and still on the inside then if i still feel it's necessary i can begin to present this issue to the lord and ask for his wisdom does that make sense to you so this is what this is what david is saying he's saying i'm you know i'm being very intentional about this all right next verse psalm 16:2 it says I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good beside you. Or here's, I love the way the Passion Translation puts this. It says, so I said to the Lord God, you are my maker, my mediator, and my master. Any good thing you find in me has come from you. He says, you are my maker, my mediator, my master. Again, the worshiper is reminding himself of who the Lord is. And where does, where does the Passion Translation get that? It's because the word translated Lord here is the Hebrew word Adonai. And the word Adonai spoke of a lot of Bible scholars believe that was the Old Testament term for Jesus. It was it spoke of the Lord, that aspect of the triune God, of, of God's nature. It spoke of who he was. It was a Hebrew name for God that emphasizes lordship. So he's reminding himself that God's in charge, number one, and that he's voluntarily subjecting himself to the Lord. He's saying, you are my Lord. But he's also calling on, this is who Jesus is. He is our maker. He is our mediator, the mediator between God and man, but also you can just weigh this out. I believe I a lot of times need a mediator between my spirit, which is born again, filled with the spirit of God, and my soul, my mind, emotions, and will that doesn't always line itself up yet with with God. Okay, And hopefully that soul is being transformed by these transformative moments and coming more into line. But sometimes... I need him to step in between me and me, okay? And focus me back on who he is, what he has deposited on the inside of me. I don't know if that makes sense to you. But so he is our mediator and he is our master. So again, and you know, we are, this worshiper is saying again, reminding himself, you're master, you're in charge. What what you say goes. I will yield myself to it, Okay. And he opens himself up for instruction. He opens himself up for repentance, saying, anything good that is in me so far, it has come from you. So he's not taking credit for anything that's good. Again, it's just another position of voluntary subjection to the Lord, saying, you know, the good things things that are changing in me, and I acknowledge that a lot of things have changed. They're good things. That all came from you. I didn't do any of it. So here I am. I'm stepping into the shade and I really need more of that. I need your instruction. I need your wisdom. I need you to change I seem to get this one I pray this one a lot. I need you to change my heart and my attitude toward this person or this situation. I know that what I'm feeling and wanting to say is not your heart. And I really want it to change. And this is the place for that. This is, again, this is about, you know, stewarding these interactions with God. This is where that kind of thing takes place. This makes sense to you. All right, next couple of verses. Verses three and four. It says, as for the godly, the saints, this is the amplified, as for the godly, the saints, in other words, the people of God, who are in the land, they are excellent. The noble, the noble, and the glorious, in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows. Oh, let's just leave it at verse three for a second. So what he's essentially saying there is I'm going to choose my companions and my influencers carefully. I'm going to look to, I'm going to, the influencers in my life are going to be people who are walking with God. They're going to be other worshipers. Doesn't mean I'm not going to have relationship or work with or whatever, uh, other people who do not walk with God, obviously we are supposed to be in the world being a light, but those who are going to influence my life, those are gonna, who are going to uh, walk, who I'm going to choose to walk with in covenant, who I'm going to go into business with, who I'm going to marry, who I'm going to be close friends with, those people are going to be your people, God. And he's reminding himself of, of that at this point. He is is reminding himself, and and so it's just another reminder. We have lots of them uh, to set ourselves in agreement with and walk closely closely with uh, the people of God. In verse 4, it says, I'm going to read that from the New Living Translation, if it matters to you. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the names of their gods. All right, let me read that to you again. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the names of their gods. So he just got done saying, I'm gonna choose to walk with people who worship you. And now he says, you know what? People who choose not to worship you and who run after other gods, troubles multiply. And I don't want to be a part of that. I'm not even going to pick up the name of their God. And so for us, we look at this and we go, well, we don't worship idols and we don't have all these other gods. Well, yeah, we do. They just have different names today. Again, an idol, anything you love more than God or has a stronger influence on your heart than God, that is an idol. Okay. And also, I love that I think that was a Chris Vellaton quote. Anything you have to check with before you obey God, okay, that's an idol. Whether that's your checkbook or your boss or your girlfriend or what it is, if you have to check with them before you decide to obey God, you've put them in the position of an idol, okay, in your life. So so this verse is saying, look, I can see here that trouble just follows. That path. I'm I'm not going there. Okay, does that make sense to you? Verses 5 and 6. You getting anything out of this? Okay, verses 5 and 6. Again, the, the Passion Translation. I love this. Lord, I have chosen. If you have your Bible there, I would highlight those words. I have chosen you alone as my inheritance, you are my prize my pleasure, and my portion. I leave my destiny and its timing in your hands. Your pleasant path leads me to pleasant places. I am overwhelmed by the privileges that come with following you, for you have given me the best. Let's break this down a little bit. So inheritance, he says, I have chosen you alone as my inheritance. In that culture, the person's inheritance Embodied their whole security for their future. What they, you know, it was a family-oriented culture, and so there, there was a part of that that was their name was involved with their inheritance. They would, they would receive the family inheritance. It meant you're a part of the family. Okay, uh, their, their future, their, their wealth, their security, what they would leave to their children. All that's wrapped up, in the idea of inheritance. And and so a person could have their focus on what their earthly dad was going to leave them or this worshipper is saying, look, all that's great and all that's there and all that's from you, but I have chosen you as my place of security for my future. No matter what happens, Lord, I trust you. I trust you to take care of me and to take care of my kids. I trust you for my family identity. I trust you. I put my identity in family. Yep, I have a family name. My family name is Clement. You know, there are other Clements. Uh, But the family of God, you know, even Jesus said this. Remember his mother and his brothers were out there. He was ministering to people and they were saying, here, you know, come out of there. We're calling you. Family was calling him, natural family. He looked around and he said, these are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. Meaning this family held a higher position in Jesus' life than his own. And he didn't diss his own mother or brother or sisters, right? He made sure his mother was taken care of when he was on the cross, but he had his priorities right. And, and so this in saying this about, Lord, I have chosen you alone as my inheritance, it means all my security is placed in you and I draw my identity from who you are. I love this. I leave my destiny, okay? What I'm gonna do, who I'm gonna be, how that's all gonna work out for me. I leave my destiny and its timing in your hands. See, that's where, that's the part I have trouble with. I, I struggle at times with the timing part. And I know some of you do too. We'll get a vision from God. We'll get what God's wanting to do. And I think, I think we don't always realize that that's not all just about us in our life, that God's destiny for us is a generational issue There are things that we are going to leave to another generation to accomplish that God has shown us. And our faith in him getting that done is going to make it possible for that next generation to do what God is speaking to our hearts. There's a part of it we're going to live out. There's a part of it they're going to live out. There's a part of it we inherited from the generations before. This is how God works. He's a generational God. And so the timing of what he has put on your heart. And seeing that come to pass, that's where we often make mistakes is when we can't leave the timing to God. And yet at the same time, what's really important is that in that, we don't get complacent saying, okay, God will just do it in the future. Okay, we've got to, And to me, this takes a lot of prayer and a lot of time and a lot of wisdom. And I don't always do it well. This thing of staying passionate about what God has said and put on your heart for you, for your family, for your community, for your church, for, your, for our nation, whatever it might be, whatever God has put on your heart to stay passionate about that, to keep faith in that, to fight for that and yet stay in peace with his timing of bringing it to pass. That's just so I think we just have to learn to deal with that and learn to just, again, stay focused on him in all of that. I'm looking for my clock. I've got a few minutes left here. So then he says, your pleasant path. All right. So the path that you're leading on me on, it leads me to pleasant places. I'm overwhelmed by the privileges that come from following you, for you have given me the best. Uh, some of the some of the your translations will say something like the lines or boundaries of my life have fallen in pleasant places. Again, the worshiper is just reminding himself of who God is, what He has promised, what He has done, and and spending time in the shade, soaking in God. I want to remember all the wonderful things that You have done, and I use those what You've done for me, what You've done. Uh, for others that I know, what you've done for friends, what you've done for family, every testimony of anybody else, any believer, it belongs to me. If you've done it for them, it's a part of my inheritance, my heritage. And I use that as a springboard for hope and for faith and for pressing forward in the Lord. We never want to get to where all we're thinking about is what's not happening right now. What we're not seeing right now. That is a that is a hopeless, faithless, Place. We need to keep our focus on who the Lord is, what He has promised, what He is uh, doing. So, living under His, living as a worshiper, it creates some boundaries for our lives. It creates, you know, it says the lines or the boundaries have fallen for me in pleasant places. Well, living as a worshiper, living subject to God, it creates boundaries and it creates both. Our pastor used to say it this way it creates some limits for our lives. We don't want to go beyond what what the Lord has said and called us to be and to do and what his word says. We don't want to go outside of that. But it also produces tremendous liberty. There's a lot of liberty. Its Boundaries are not just about limits within what God has said and who he's created us to be and all that. There's tremendous freedom and liberty and, and potential for growth and for Uh, producing things and and walking with God and carrying his presence into places. And there's just, it's a tremendous life. And that's what uh, the psalmist is remembering here. All right, so verse eight, we looked at last week, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. We're just about done here. Um, We talked about this last week. The the worshiper says, I have set the Lord always before me. All right, so it was a choice they made. I keep the Lord before me all the time. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. We said that word set means to place something in a position in order to focus on it. So So he's putting the Lord in front of him to keep his focus on the Lord. Being at his right hand, that's a position of special honor and significance. So the worshiper is saying, Lord, I always keep you in this position of special honor and significance in my life. And it says, I will not be shaken, which means to be violently displaced. Even when things doesn't say, nothing bad's going to come into your life. It says, when it does, I'm not going to be violently displaced. I'm not going to be jerked back into the sun because there's sun out there. Okay, does that make sense to you? So, Wrap this up, verses 9 through 11. Again, this is from the Passion Translation. It says, My heart and soul explode with joy full of glory. Even my body will rest confident and secure, for you will not abandon me. And I, I felt this morning, I highlighted those words because I feel like they're for somebody in here. You need to take that phrase... And take it to heart, for you, God, will not abandon me. Jesus said that there's nothing and nobody that can snatch you out of his hand. All right, you can walk out if you choose to, but there's nothing that can come as your enemy and snatch you out of his hand. There's nothing that powerful. You know, if we keep our hearts from believing lies and that kind of thing, just stay right in that shady spot. So it says, for you will not abandon me to the realm of death, nor will you allow your holy one to experience corruption. Of course, this was a prophecy too about Jesus that he would be raised from the dead. Well, it's true for us too. He got a resurrection body. We get one too. The grave is is not our final resting place. Okay, For you bring me a continual revelation of resurrection life. I love that part. You bring me, I want to pray that, I want to speak that over my life. You bring me a continual revelation of resurrection life. The New Testament says we have the same new life that he has. I need that revealed. I need to know what all's in that. I need to know where that's going. I need to know what that means in everyday life. The path to this bliss that brings me face to face with you. Let me read that whole sentence one more time. For you bring me a continual revelation of resurrection life. We could say, which is the path to the bliss that brings me face to face with you. If you meditate through those, and I would encourage you to just take that psalm, take some time in your own devotional time, just meditate through what he says there, it's a beautiful picture of what a life of worshiping God is. And when we are taking on that lifestyle, again, none of us are perfect. We're all in a, you know, we're all in a growth pattern, hopefully. (laughs) We're all in a growth pattern. Uh, At best, we're all growing, okay? So, so, but as we do that, we have this, we can have this continual revelation of our salvation, of God's nature, of what that means, of what he's called us to, of what he's empowered us with, of the gifts that he wants us to carry out into our life and into our neighborhood and into our community and and the distribution of that life and that light. We can just have this continual revelation of that as we're spending this time just face-to-face with the Lord. And, And that puts us in that place to steward over and take care of those revelations as he brings them into our heart. Did you get anything out of this today? All right, let's stand up and pray together. Thank you, Lord. Father, I just want to thank you this morning, first of all, just for how good and how rich your word is. Just thank you for it. I pray, Father, that uh, today, every day, this coming year, Lord, that all of us, Father, help us to, to soak maybe more slowly and more fully in your words. I thank you that your words are life and that they impact our hearts. I thank you that your words are full of wisdom. I thank you, Father, that they give us the path of life. I thank you that you have offered them to us freely and you have sent your spirit to reveal your word to our hearts. And so I pray, Lord, this morning that for every one of us in this place, the the portions of this scripture, Lord, that stood out to us. I pray, Father God, that those would just sink deep into our hearts as good seed and that they would produce in us everything that you want to produce in us. I pray, Father God, that as we go out of this place and, and every single day and every week, as we go to work, as we go to school, Lord, as we interact with our friends and our neighbors and, and strangers, Lord, that, Father, that your glory would radiate out father that opportunities to minister life to people would just abound in our path and we thank you for that this morning lord <laughs> all right let's let's say this on, on the count of three jesus is lord over the gunnison basin and the world will be dismissed if anybody else needs prayer for anything come on up we'd love to pray for you after service one two three jesus is lord over the gunnison basin and the world amen